All right, Panthers fans, we've got a little bit of, uh, I guess, the first piece of the puzzle has fallen this offseason for the Carolina Panthers as it was announced late yesterday that the Carolina Panthers have indeed made a decision. Have indeed made a decision on who the next general manager is going to be. Welcome to Carolina. Scott Fitterer. I guess you could say that the Panthers found their fit terror. <laughs> Bad joke. Um, we'll get to Scott Fitter in just a second. Uh, just a little bit about him. Welcome into the Sam Avila Show. Happy Friday to all of you out there. Today's show going to be fun. Uh, going to talk about Scott Fitter here in just a second. Uh, following this segment, we are actually going to revisit our conversation with Jonathan Alexander, in case you missed that yesterday. A lot of good stuff, uh, so we're going to sort of switch it around, transpose it into today's show. If you missed it yesterday, you'll be able to catch that today. Uh, Von Casey going to join me in the back half of the show. We will get to a little bit of James Harden stuff. Yesterday, we mostly focused on just Kyrie Irving himself and what's been going on with Kyrie this week, but today, we'll um, as, as the dust has now settled a little bit more on that trade, between Houston and Brooklyn. We'll get some thoughts on Kyrie Irving, and then we will also get you set for NFL Divisional Round playoff games coming up this weekend. Today's show, of course, being brought to you by Toyota of New Bern. Head to Snapdragon in downtown New Bern right now. Pick up a Toyota Bear colorable worksheet. Color it in. Have some fun with it. Follow the directions. You can submit it into Toyota, and when you enter, you will be entered to win a $50 gift card to Snapdragon in downtown New Bern. Also, your masterpiece, your work of art, will have an opportunity to potentially be the face of Toyota of New Bern in the month of February. Sorry, I keep having to pause. I've got a massive cup of coffee this afternoon. This week has worn me down. This is like the first full week for me in 2021. Oh, boo-hoo, Sam, first full week. Yeah, whatever, man. I'm a little soft, okay? I'm tired. It's been a long week. I've been sticking with the exercise. Are you guys still sticking with your New Year's resolutions? I literally came to work today in my gym clothes because I'm hitting the gym right after this. That's the kind of motivation I've got this year. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it rolling as long as I can because that motivation will quickly run out. Uh, but enough about me. Enough about me, Sam. Nobody cares because I'm still fat. I'm just trying to be slightly less fat. <laughs> uh, less, less about me, more about the Carolina Panthers. Scott Fitterer, yes, it was reported yesterday evening. Um, I guess it was Ian Rappaport who originally had it that the Carolina Panthers officially agreed to terms with the former... Uh, what, I guess, vice president? What was he? The executive vice president slash general manager. No. What was this dude's title? I can't even, I don't even really understand it. All right, it's some dude who's basically like an assistant GM in Seattle. Okay? Scott Fitterer. Scott Fitterer, who was not the first candidate that the Panthers talked to. In fact, he was a late addition. The Panthers interviewed 15 15 different candidates to replace Marty Herney as the new general manager for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, One of the last two added to the list was Scott Fitterer. On Thursday night, last night, they officially agreed to terms on a five-year deal with Scott Fitterer to become the new general manager of 
the Carolina Panthers. It was in an in-person interview on Wednesday. He made it to the Final Four and then second time. Met with them the second time yesterday. And the guy clearly blew away Dave Tepper and Matt Rule. Specifically Matt Rule. And that's important. And I'll tell you why here in just a second. Blew them away and they made sure that they worked out a deal within the next couple of hours. It was actually interesting the way this was reported yesterday. And the reason we didn't talk about it on yesterday's show is because the original reporting, which came out around 4.30, 5 o'clock yesterday, was that the Carolina Panthers had offered Scott Fitterer the job, that he hadn't taken the job. And then we found out in the subsequent hours that Scott Fitterer then agreed to the five-year deal. He's now locked in. So a little bit about Scott Fitterer. Number one. He has been with the Seattle Seahawks since 2001, and he has been operating for the last decade plus as the co-assistant GM under John Schneider. John Schneider is one of the better respected general managers around the league, and if you look at what Seattle has done, you could say he's done a pretty good job. Right? Think about the value that Seattle has found in a lot of these drafts. I think the most notable one is... Probably quarterback Russell Wilson, who was, what, a fourth-round pick, third-round pick maybe? The guy who turned into a top-five, a perennial top-five quarterback, a guy who for the first five, six weeks of the season this year was the league's MVP. You know Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. So Scott Fitterer comes from a pretty good general manager, quasi-gene pool, if you will. The dude's got experience working for and working with a front office that has made a lot of very successful decisions over the last 15 years. A couple quick things about Scott Fitterer. Here's a quick bio for you. Um, He was a two-sport athlete back in the day. He was originally headed and going to go play at the University of California. He was going to be a quarterback there. Then he changed his commitment and decided to go to UCLA. Why did he change his commitment? Um, He was going to originally Cal, to play underneath Steve Mariucci, who was Cal's quarterback at the time. Uh, Steve Mariucci went on to the Green Bay Packers. After a couple of years at UCLA, Fitter transfer, transferred excuse me, to LSU, and he also played some baseball at LSU, actually ended up having a little stint with the Toronto Blue Jays in single class A, um, and then some shoulder injuries ended up ending his career. So then he ended up becoming a scout for the New York Giants, and then he was eventually hired by the Seattle Seahawks. He's a sports guy. All right, I always like when you get a sports guy on your sports team. Just seems like it might make sense, right? (laughs) So what does Scott uh, Scott Fitterer bring to the table? Well, the one thing that I saw everybody saying about him is that he is one of the best college evaluators in the game right now. He is one of the better people in the NFL at evaluating college talent. And when you look at his track record and what he helped do in Seattle for all those years, there is some truth to that. This is a guy who was responsible for drafting Earl Thomas. This is the same guy who was responsible for drafting Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Legion of Boom, right? One of the most fearsome defenses, at least fearsome secondaries that we've seen in a long time in the NFL. It's the same guy who drafted Russell Wilson back in 2012. That's the same group that led that Seattle team to, what was it, like five, six straight playoff appearances? Uh, Got a Super Bowl title back in 2013? I read a quote from a a former colleague of his, and this is from an article by David Bierman 
uh, where I was pulling a lot of this information. David Bierman, who is a uh, reporter for ESPN. Um, no, excuse me. This was David Newton. There was something different. I was reading from David Bierman. Uh, he, he has a quote from a former colleague where he says, quote, Fitterer is a great people person as well, so he should thrive in Carolina. Why should he specifically thrive in Carolina, you might ask? Well, yesterday when we were talking to Jonathan Alexander, I asked him about this, and I said, hey, I know Matt Rule is uh, potentially, and it's been, I think, a little bit of a hang-up in this general manager hiring process for Carolina. Matt Rule is one of those guys who wants to have final say on his roster. Matt Rule has never come out and said that he wants to be one of these all-powerful coaches. Like, I always go back to when Chip Kelly was in Philadelphia. And I was so excited when Chip Kelly, as an Eagles fan, when Chip Kelly came from Oregon and went to Philadelphia, I was pumped. I was like, cool, this is going to be an exciting new brand of offense. Uh, Let's see what Chip Kelly can do in the NFL. I think Chip Kelly's downfall, while people will criticize his coaching, Chip Kelly's biggest downfall in Philadelphia was that he was giving full control full control, dictatorship control over the organization, coach and general manager. That doesn't usually work out. We've seen it most recently with Bill O'Brien in Houston. You see what a mess, what a trash pile that that organization has turned into. Matt Rule has kind of hinted that he wants some of that all-powerfulness in Carolina, but I think David Tepper has been wise to curb his appetite away from that just a little bit. But what remained true is that the ruling here, the final ruling and the determination is that Matt Rule is is going to have final say on the Carolina Panthers 53-man roster. Which is a hang-up for a lot of potential general managers. But if you are telling me that the Scott Fitterer guy is a people person and is used to working and existing in a co- Assistant general manager role. Co-assistant general manager. That's not even assistant general manager. That's you're sharing assistant general manager with somebody else. You're the co-assistant. <laughs> the Dwight Schrute. Assistant to the regional manager. Co-assistant general manager. I think that's a good sign for Carolina. Um, it seems like Scott Fitter is kind of a young guy. but He graduated college in 96. So what is he in his mid-40s, upper 40s maybe? If he's a collaborative guy um, and he thinks he can fit in with Matt Rule and they share the same vision, Matt Rule has said time and time again he wants to build through the draft, which is probably good because you've seen over the years what kind of luck has Carolina ever had in free agency. Now, a lot of that used to be because Jerry Richardson, the former owner, was a total cheapskate and was afraid to spend money. But I think building through the draft is your quickest recipe for success in the NFL. Then you put the cherry on top. Then you put the cherry on top with the other guys who can come in, with the uh, the free agent who you can add over the top. So I want to keep it quick here because I want to make sure we have plenty of time to get through some other stuff during the show today. Vaughn's going to be in here in a little while. We'll get his thoughts on the new Panthers general manager hiring, what he thinks about that. Um, but first and foremost, I think the most important thing that Scott Fitterer has in front of him is that number eight pick in this year's upcoming draft. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, we're going to have a lot of NFL draft discussions over the next couple of months as it gets closer. And what are the Panthers going to do with number eight? Are they going to go quarterback? Are they going to try to continue to build around this defense? Are they going to try to shore up this offensive line? Do they need some help in the secondary? There's a lot of things they need. My one nugget before we get off the air here, or excuse me, before we take this first break, is that 
in Seattle, they were pretty notorious for doing what New England likes to do, and that's trade back. Trade back, trade back, trade back. Acquire some deeper draft assets and then take swings. Take some later round picks. Seattle operated this way for years. It's how they've honestly continued to build this team and and keep it going. Instead of saying, we want one high pick at the top of the draft, they say, we'll take more picks in the middle of the draft. And if some of them don't pan out, great. But we like our chances and we like our ability to evaluate college players, take a swing, and maybe some of them pay off. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if the Carolina Panthers do indeed end up trading out of this number 8 spot, I would not be shocked because this hiring, that is the first thing that popped in my mind when I saw this hiring. Seattle trades back a lot. Now we've got somebody with that line of thinking. I don't know if it's good or bad. It's too early for me to decide that. I think the hiring's good. If they trade out of that number 8 spot, we'll have to see. Once these mock drafts boil down and we'll see what everybody's thinking, combines come through, all that good stuff. But my word to you right now, Panthers fan, is that number eight pick, don't get too attached to it because I would not at all be shocked if that thing is shipped out of town. Uh, Let's get this first break out of the way. We're going to revisit our conversation with Jonathan Alexander. Von Casey going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to talk some James Harden with him. We're going to talk some divisional round NFL playoffs coming up with him. All that and more this afternoon right here on the Sam Avalos Show. It's the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Getting set to talk a little bit of Carolina Panthers football here in just a second. I know, season's over. But it's never too soon to start looking ahead, right? We'll look back, we'll do a little recap, we'll figure out what the hell's going on with Joe Brady, we'll figure out what the target for the next general manager's going to look like for the Carolina Panthers. All that and more somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer. Waiting on the line here. We'll get to Jonathan. Jonathan, hold tight. We'll get to Jonathan here in just a second. This segment being brought to you by Toyota of New Bern. I'm going to continue to remind you until all of you go and do it. Toyota of New Bern needs your help this month. They need your help, and they need the help of your little artist, too. That's right. They've got a coloring contest going on for the next Yoda Bear. And the winner of the contest, not only are they going to win a $50 gift card to Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown New Bern, but your work of art will also be the featured Yoda Bear for the month of February. How cool is that? Three different ways to get a copy of the Yoda Bear for yourself or your child. I've said all week, I'm not going to judge any adult who wants to get a coloring sheet and color in Yoda Bear. But you've got three different options. You can either A, go to toyotaofnewburn.com. It's probably the easiest. And then the other two I would suggest, because it's better for me as the, uh, the advertiser in this situation. You can either A, head to Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown Newburn, or you can head out to Toyota of Newburn. Highway 70, just outside of James City. And you can pick up a coloring sheet at either one of those locations. Now, you pick up the sheet, you color it in, and you read the directions. And it'll tell you exactly how you go about submitting that coloring sheet into Toyota of New Bern. And then you sit back and relax. Have yourself entered for a chance to win a $50 gift card to Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown New Bern. 
And hey, going on right now at Toyota of New Bern, 0% APR financing to start 2021. But get yourself a new vehicle and you will not have to make a single payment until spring. It's kind of nice, right? You just go get a car. It's basically free for like two months and then you got to start paying for it. As always, please support the people who support us. That is Toyota of Newburn, proud sponsors of us here on the Sam Avalis Show. By the way, Von Casey going to be back in studio in a little bit, but uh, let's do it. Let's talk some Carolina Panthers football. While well, since we've gotten to talk to this guy, very excited to welcome back to the Sam Avalis Show here. Jonathan Alexander makes his return to the Eastern North Carolina airwaves. I know Panthers fans are excited to hear from you, Jonathan. Of course, you can check out his work in the Charlotte Observer, the beat reporter for the Carolina Panthers. Jonathan, as always, man, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. The first question I've got to ask you is, season one in the books, you covering the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Was it everything you hoped it would be and more? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it was an interesting year, um, you know, with COVID. You can't really, uh, you know, talk to the players face-to-face, uh, coaches face-to-face, everything done by its own. Uh, so that part... Uh, wasn't as enjoyable, but it, it was good though. It, good experience in my first season, uh, writing a lot of interesting stories, learning about a lot of interesting people, uh, fast paced. It, it was good nonetheless. I always, one of my favorite things that I see during the new year, and I'm not sure if you ended up doing this or not, but one of the things I always love when I follow sports journalists, because guys like yourself, Jonathan, uh, you, you guys are in a completely different stratosphere than someone like myself. I mean, I get up here and I just run my mouth for two hours a day. You actually put in like time and effort and research and you can support your arguments. And I just sit here and say things. You put together well-crafted stories year in and year out. I'm curious, uh, did you maybe make like a compilation of some of your favorite Carolina Panthers stories from your first season there? And if not, maybe what was your favorite story that you got to put together in your first season? That's a good question. Um, I thought about it, uh, putting the compilation of uh, my favorite story. I can't pronounce it right now. Uh, You're going to have to forgive me. But, um, I just gave you all that credit for being a great jur- journalist. You can't even pronounce compilation, man. Come on. <laughs> compilation. There we go. So, yeah, I, yeah, I thought about it. I didn't end up doing it. But, you know, when I think of some of my favorite stories, um, you know, there were, there were a couple that come off the top of the head right now. Um, you know, I wrote a story on Sam Franklin, who's an undrafted uh, rookie safety. He ended up starting. Uh, for the Panthers for a few games and, you know, just hearing his story and how he got to where he is, you know, he had to, before college, you know, he went the junior college route, but to, to get into that, uh, no prep school route, but to get to that prep school, he had to work at Outback and, and long and uh, Applebee's and his mom and his godmom helped raise money. And then he got to Temple, finally got to raise by Temple. And then, came undrafted and finally got on the Panthers. So his journey was just very interesting. That and, you know, learning a lot about Brian Burns and and, and what his love for dancing and, you know, how he became one of the Panthers' best uh, defensive ends. And, uh, you know, he can, he can really break it down. It comes from a family of dancers. So those were a couple of my favorite stories. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I actually, uh, re- I think I saw earlier on Twitter, the Panthers today on their Twitter account have been kind of uh, chronicling Brian Burns' season. And, and what I actually got the uh, the privilege to meet him while he was still at Florida State and got to sit down and do an interview with him. And oh, wow. dude, what a cool guy Brian is. I, I think uh, I, he sat down next to me and I noticed that on the back of his cell phone, he had a Black Panther case from the Marvel movies. And so I asked him about it. And Jonathan, I kid you not, it was a 15 to 20 minute interview. And we didn't talk about anything but Marvel movies the whole entire time. <laughs> like the dude's got such a huge personality. He's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Brian Burns is, is definitely 100% one of my favorite uh, people to talk to. And, and if you didn't know anything about him, you never know he was only 22 years old. He, <laughs> he, carry, he carries himself like a veteran. Um, but, um, you know, win or lose, Brian Burns is going to be honest with you, and he's going to talk to the media. Um, so I, I, I definitely appreciate that about him. He comes from a good family, too. Uh, that's cool, man. I know uh, uh, Panthers fans are certainly happy to have him. I want to get to some more Carolina Panther stuff here in just a second, but you're hanging out in Charlotte right now, and for people who aren't sports fans, Charlotte has been getting a little bit of attention on the national media standpoint because of The Bachelor. Now, I don't know if you are a fan of The Bachelor, but Matt James, who is the current a bachelor, I guess the number one contestant or the the apple of everybody's eye on the bachelor right now. How immersed have you gotten into the bachelor this year? Matt James played football at Wake Forest. I think he lives in Charlotte. I may be mistaken there. I know he actually attended mini camp for the uh, Carolina Panthers back in 2015. Have you had to get caught up in any of the bachelor stuff? Do you watch the show? I mean, I don't watch the show, but I can't even lie to you and say that my interest has not been peaked this year because of Matt James. <laughs> I have not watched the show. I've heard a lot, and I've seen Twitter go buzz about it. Um, you know, Matt James is, a, you know, very popular. Uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Matt James actually played middle school ball uh, for North Carolina Central's basketball coach when he was a, a middle school coach. And coach Moten, is that Central. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played for LaBelle Moten in middle school. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and and I went in North Carolina Central, so I, I, I'm I'm good friends with Lavelle. So um, so I, I have that little bit of a connection with him. And then you know, I lived in Raleigh for some time. Um, so, uh, but I hadn't got a chance to watch it though. But I hear it's good though. That's good though, man. I'm uh, I I always get upset. I was I was following some people during the national championship game, uh, the college championship game on Monday night, and. Sports reporters I know were tweeting about The Bachelor instead of the game, and I just I had to shake my head in, in disbelief. So, you know what? I'm actually relieved to hear that you're not too familiar with it. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Alexander, the Carolina Panthers beat reporter for the Charlotte Absor- Observer, excuse me, joining us here on the Sam Avalos Show. You can check him out on Twitter at John M. Alexander putting out all his work all the time doing great work for the Carolina Panthers let's um let's do a quick look back on this year if you don't mind Jonathan Carolina Panthers I think the Vegas over under at the beginning of the season was set at four and a half they barely eclipsed that total with five wins so if you could maybe rewind to the beginning of the year and think about what your expectations were for this Carolina Panthers team and then with that thought in mind what the reality of this Carolina Panthers team turned into this year. Did you think it was about right for what the Panthers fans should have expected this season? Uh, yeah, I, I had predicted them to finish 5-11 and 11, uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, at the same time, I, I thought that the offense was going to have to carry 
the defense this year uh, because the defense was so young and they had returned only four starters. Uh, I think all seven of their defensive draft picks played um, games this season, and five of them started at least one game. So, you know, before the season, I thought the defense was going to struggle tremendously, but the defense actually was pretty average, and, and they performed better than expected. Some of, some of those games, they were really impressive, uh, like against Green Bay in the second half, um, and uh, against in Week 15, against Washington in Week 17. Um, they were really good uh, against the Detroit Lions. They shut them out. It's hard to shut out somebody in the NFL. Um, but the offense was, was disappointing. You definitely have to factor in the fact that Christian McCaffrey was not there. That's important. Um, but, you know, they, they have 4,000, I mean, four 1,000 yard um, players, and, you know, that was good, but they couldn't score. They were ranked 24th in the league in scoring, um, 21st in total yards. You know, they have to be a lot better. Um, next year, uh, that's one of the things that they, and they have to establish a running game. They didn't establish a running game. Um, offensive line wasn't very great. They were pretty mediocre. So, uh, it was, it was, a, it was an average season, but right on par with, with where I expected. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey, and obviously he would have helped the running game out a little bit. We were having the conversation earlier this week that most of the season, it seemed like, especially maybe week 10 on, that the Panthers were intentionally holding Christian McCaffrey out of some of those games. If the season had been going a little bit different, do you think there's a better chance we would have seen Christian McCaffrey on the field? No, it's it's, it's my understanding that um, that Matt Rule told us that if Christian McCaffrey was healthy, uh, then he would have played him. And he wanted to play him um, a few times, but Christian McCaffrey just wasn't. At full strength, I think towards the end, like the last game, like he was going to play him up until the last game and until he saw him. And, and you know, Christian, he didn't feel like Christian looked right. And he had to, you know, say, like, you know, we can't play you um, if you're making the injury worse. Um, I, I do think the injury was serious enough that it, it didn't make sense. But, you know, I don't I don't think – I think Matt Rule had wanted to play, just based on our conversations, he had wanted to play Christian. But um, – you know, every time he saw him each week, try to practice. Uh, and he didn't pra- He didn't get to practice until before week 16. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It, um, every time he saw him try to practice, he didn't look good enough um, as far as, you know, um, you know, playing up to uh, the standard that Christian McCaffrey uh, would normally um, look at in a game. So, um you know, I, I think it was. I think it was more had to do about Christian McCaffrey's injury, and then you know Matt Rule, you know, making his determination about how he looked in practice. So, how about the quarterback Teddy Bridgewater? And as it as it relates to Joe Brady and what's going on with Joe Brady right now, I've got some other questions relating to Teddy Bridgewater. But after watching this season. Do you have any confidence that was inspired in you by Teddy Bridgewater that there's going to be much value in the next two years of his contract? I mean, you mentioned the thousand yard players that Carolina had, and I know I think uh, DJ Moore was 11th in the NFL in receiving yards, and Robbie Anderson finished 15th in receiving yards. But Carolina as a team only had 16 receiving touchdowns. A lot of that feels like it has to fall on the shoulders of Teddy Bridgewater. And I know it's a fairly team friendly contract. But going into the next two years of that contract, is Carolina committed to Teddy Bridgewater? 
I, I just based on our conversations with the owner, David Tepper, he didn't seem very uh, confident in Teddy Bridgewater. From what I saw, um, you know, just the way that season ended, I wouldn't say Teddy Bridgewater is your franchise quarterback. Matt Rule was was critical at the end, said Teddy Bridgewater needs to have a great offseason. He believes Teddy Bridgewater can have a great offseason, but he needs to have a great offseason because, I, you know, I, I don't think the confidence that he's their long-term answer is there. Um, you know, he struggled that second half of the season. He didn't look confident in late-game situations. I think he was 0-4-7 in fourth-quarter comeback attempts. Um, and, you know, that's not going to get it done. Uh, I think he had – you know, good enough weapons to play better than he played. He, he did some good things early in the year. Had an impressive game against the Chiefs, impressive game against the Saints, uh, the first game, not the Week 17 game. Uh, had an impressive game against the Falcons in their first game. Um, but, you know, he, he struggled, you know, mightily at times. He, uh, again, in the Vikings game, he missed that throw to DJ Moore, a critical throw. That could have helped them seal the game. Um, so, you know, I think. You know, Teddy has, he hasn't proven yet. And, and I, I think really, to be honest with you, he has, you know, this offseason, um, I think he has a short lease, um, going into this season. And if he messes up, I, I definitely think Panthers could easily go in a different direction. Um, you know, considering they brought Dwayne Haskins in, uh, for a, a workout. Yeah, the Haskins things. I'm glad you bring that up because I talked to a lot of Panthers fans who saw those reports and and they weren't too happy about that. And I tried to say, you know, maybe Haskins, he'd be an excellent backup, I think, for the Carolina Panthers. The new general manager going to be one of the first things they have to address is what do you do at the quarterback position? We've got a little bit of a pipe dream here where Deshaun Watson is rumored to be disgruntled in Houston. I said last week that I would be okay with the Carolina Panthers giving the Houston Texans Teddy Bridgewater and every single draft pick that they had in 2021 to get Deshaun Watson back. Uh, what seems like a likely scenario? Do you think the Panthers may try to make a move to get in the Deshaun Watson conversation? Do you see them maybe trying to attack quarterback with the number eight pick in the NFL draft this year? Uh, is there maybe a free agent out there outside of Dwayne Haskins that you think the Panthers could try to be aggressive and make a move for? Yeah, I, I, I'm almost 100 percent positive the Panthers would love to have Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, the the obstacle there is are the Texans willing to give up Deshaun Watson? And just based on you know the reporters who cover the Texans and, and, and reading around the league, I, I think that that seems to be no matter how upset Deshaun Watson is. Uh, you know, trading him away, you know, after giving it, investing that much in him seems to be highly unlikely. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure the Panthers would love to get him and would probably do everything they could to. I think it would just be hard to do that. Um, I, I, when I look at the free agents, the the only free agent I think the Panthers would go after who, you know, they would consider to be a long-term option is, is Dak Prescott. But I don't think uh, the Dallas Cowboys are going to – uh, allow Dak Prescott to get away. You know, they invested so much in him as well. But um, other than that, there aren't really many big free agent names um, as far as quarterbacks go that you can look at and you say, oh, he's a, a long-term uh, franchise quarterback and, and this team needs to go and, and get him. Um, you know, you got an aging uh, Phillip Rivers, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston. You know, the Panthers have moved on from, from Cam Newton already. Um, 
Tyrod Taylor. Uh, it's, it's not many great options out there. I think uh, the Panthers are definitely going to explore trying to draft a quarterback, um, but it, I don't think they'll they'll reach for one. And they do have next year as well to to look at potential free agents and, and draftees, uh, depending on how things go. Yeah, going to be something to follow. Man, those are a lot of disgusting free agent names, but uh, maybe a conversation for a different day. I would love to see Jameis Winston in Carolina. Jonathan, a fun fact about me, I have just a sick obsession with Jameis Winston. He is probably like top five, one of my favorite players in the NFL. I would be so happy if he wound up in Carolina. (laughs) And so much of what Matt Rule wants to do and what David Tepper has, I guess, quested him to do is not just – create a good team but essentially building a program there at Carolina you know kind of similar to what Matt Rule did at every college he ever attended one of the first things that the new general manager is going to have to do is potentially look at hiring or playing a part in the hiring of a new offensive coordinator Joe Brady I think is now up to four or five different jobs that he's interviewed for as a head coach in the NFL I really loved the Joe Brady signing a year ago when he came over from LSU but now I'm starting to wonder, I don't know, Jonathan, you tell me, do you think Joe Brady deserves a head coaching job yet in the NFL? And secondly, if he does jump for a head coaching job after just one year in Carolina, should Panthers fans be upset with him after the way he sort of orchestrated a little bit of sending Cam Newton out the door and then latching the Carolina Panthers to Teddy Bridgewater for the next two seasons. Should Panthers fans be upset with Joe Brady if he leaves after a season? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think there was always speculation there and talk that, you know, he wouldn't be with the Panthers for, you know, more than a, a couple of years. Um, and, and we had known that he would likely get some interviews after this year. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at the Panthers' offense and how they perform. They, again, I mentioned 24th in the league in scoring, 21st in total yards. You know, that's not a great season um, considering uh, some of the weapons you have. Uh, but I, I think a lot of people see that that Joe Brady has a lot of has potential. Um, you know, what what he did at LSU was impressive and how they were able to win a national title. Um so you know he did, and he did that when he was thirty years old. He'll be thirty two soon. Um, he's thirty one now. He'll be thirty two soon. So you know I think they see uh, quite a future in, in Joe Brady. And, and you know right now what you're seeing is you know a lot of offensive coordinators becoming head coach and, and everybody wanting the next Sean McVay and and they kind of see Joe Brady as that. Whether they should be upset with him, I don't I don't think so. Again, you know we kind of thought of the long that Joe Brady wouldn't be here. Uh, very long, um, and uh, you know he wanted to impart his, his his vision on the on the Panthers' offense, and that was the only way he could be successful if he you know you know was able to do what he was allowed to do. Jonathan, I always appreciate your time here. You can follow him on Twitter at John M. Alexander. He is the Carolina Panthers beat writer for the Charlotte Observer. One final question for you here, and I'm looking forward to touching base with you throughout the offseason and, and keep an eye on what the Panthers have going on. We played a game yesterday on the show where we dreamed up a hypothetical situation where 
the NFL was having an expansion draft, and every current existing team in the NFL could only protect a handful of players who would be unavailable in the expansion draft. So I'm going to put you right on the spot here. If you were in charge of the Carolina Panthers, and I said the NFL draft, NFL expansion draft, here it comes, pick out five players that are currently on the Carolina Panthers roster that are protected and have no chance of being picked up to one of these expansion teams. Five players as they currently exist on the Carolina Panthers rosters. Who would be the five guys that you would make sure the Carolina Panthers locked in and no other team could get their sticky fingers on? Uh, definitely Brian Burns would be number one. That was my number uh, one, so perfect. I love yeah. that. Now I feel smarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy Chin would be that would be one of those guys for me. Um, let's see. Uh, definitely Jeremy Chin. Probably Christian McCaffrey next. Um, let's see, five guys. Chris McC- Jeremy Chin, Chris McCaffrey. I like uh, I like Derek Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd be four. And maybe if I had to pick a fifth guy, It'd be Robbie Anderson because I just like his personality. <laughs> you take Robbie over DJ, huh? Just for the personality. <laughs> um, but but if we were going with talent, I'd take DJ. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Robbie Anderson. What's that bear doing, right? Did he ever figure yeah. out who uh, Sir Perr actually was? He said that he never got a chance to meet Sir Perr. He, he hoped he didn't get COVID. So, unless he closed in the final press conference. <laughs> How about that? Uh, for more great work, you can check out uh, the Char- Charlotte Observer, charlotteobserver.com. Carolina Panthers reporter uh, Jonathan Alexander. Jonathan, real quick, final question, if you don't mind. Um, Duke basketball, you spent some time covering Duke basketball. What's going on, man? Is this the end? Like, I feel like ever since Coach K went over to this one-and-done thing, it's just gotten progressively worse, especially ever since Zion and those guys left. They lost the game the other night to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's good, but it just feels like Duke basketball, as we have known it for the last two, three decades, is just dying on the vine at this point. I mean, I haven't watched them consistently this year, but I think I'd be less worried about Duke than I would about uh, Carolina. Um, you know, just from the sense, I think they could have, I think Duke could have won, um, that year they had Zion. I think they were the best team in the country and, 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 you know, just lost a, a super close game to Michigan State. Um, but, you know, Coach K year in, year out, I, I think when you need to be worried is, is when these coaches stop getting the best players and Coach K year in and year out continues to get the best players and, at some point, it'll it'll click, um, and I, I think Duke plays a game that is consistent uh, with how the NBA is going. Um, and I think where Carolina struggles is, you know, they they play a game right now where that's not in the direction of the NBA. And you see them use a lot of big men, and I, there's no, you know, there's no coincidence why they you know have one of their best years when they have some great three point shooters. Um, so I, I I wouldn't exactly be too worried about Duke, um, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just talking out of the side of my mouth. I'm an NC State fan, so I think I'm just wishful thinking over here that eventually those other programs may drop I off. Kevin Ke- I love Kevin Keats. Man, he's, I do he's too. He's a good guy. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's a good guy. As long as he can stop losing games, he's not supposed to lose. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> no, sure. You can check him out on Twitter at John M. Alexander. Pick up Charlotte Observer uh, wherever you get newspapers, or just head over to charlotteobserver.com, and you can follow along with Jonathan's work all off-season long. Jonathan, as always, man, thank you so much for being gracious with your time. Appreciate all the good insight. We look forward to catching up with you down the road. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was trying to be optimistic that uh, maybe Jonathan would give us some good news on the Deshaun Watson front, but I uh, described it as a pipe dream. It does still seem like it may just be that. However, you know, at least it does seem as if it is an option that the Carolina Panthers are willing to entertain and pretty much do whatever they can to bring Deshaun Watson in. It's just, uh, you know, takes two to tango, right? If I was the Texans, I'd never let that guy go. Best thing that's ever happened in their franchise. We will continue to touch base with Jonathan, Jonathan excuse me, as the offseason goes on. Do always appreciate his support here on the show. Again, uh, Charlotte Observer. It's his first season, finishing up his first season, covering the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Dude's good. Good info. Doesn't watch The Bachelor. Man after my own heart. Big thank you to Jonathan Alexander. If you missed any of it, of course, you can check out the podcast, the Sam Avalis Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast. That'll be uh, that'll be posted this afternoon, and you can go back and listen. You can go back and listen. All right, when we come back, Von Casey back in studio with me. You're listening to the Sam Avalis Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. The Carolina Panthers hired their new general manager overnight. Scott Fitterer, who was the former co-assistant general manager, not just the assistant general manager, the co-assistant general manager for the Seattle Seahawks. We'll get to a little bit more on that here in just a second. We talked about it a lot off the top of the show. If you missed that and you want to hear it a little bit more, of course, you can always go subscribe to the Sam Avalis Show podcast wherever you get your podcast. This is the Sam Avalis Show. I am Sam Avalis, and very happy now to have Von Casey back hanging out in studio with me today. Von, when he saw this news, uh, it's kind of hard to get excited about a general manager signing. It is. There's not a whole lot of, like... Only time people care about general managers is when they're doing a bad job. <laughs> right, <So>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or doing like super elite, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, for me, there are a couple of things. Just to reiterate some of the stuff we talked about earlier. Number one, uh, this is the guy. He's He's been in the NFL in this role since like 2001. Mm-hmm. Responsible for signing or drafting Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Responsible for drafting Richard Sherman. Responsible for drafting... Cam Chancellor, responsible for drafting Russell Wilson, responsible for drafting DK Metcalf. They say he's a great college talent evaluator. David Tepper also said Marty Herney, the most recent general manager, was a great college talent evaluator. I think he called him the best in the league when David Tepper bought the team. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it's just a general manager. I know it's very important. Matt Rule's still going to have the final say over the 53-man roster, but Uh He's coming from a good organization, and I think that at the very minimum, that's something we can be excited about. Yeah, if you're a Panthers fan, it's just a little piece that should work. Uh, He seemed to know where talent should go on a team. I think that's more important than being able to evaluate 
the actual the actual talents. Will this fit in on the team? Right. Like where where does this fit? Because you don't go and go get Richard Sherman and just be like, all right, we play man, and we expect him to run down the field. <laughs> the field <laughs> right. Yeah. He's good. At, he's good at zone. That's what he's good at, and that's what we do well. So you know. Yeah. That's. Panthers fans, you know, another little piece. It's a, it's another little piece. I was saying earlier because I know Seattle was kind of notorious for this. The number eight draft pick that Carolina has this year, mm-hmm. very good chance now. I think that Carolina could trade back out of that pick because mm-hmm. Seattle did a lot of trading back, and then they would sort of stack up those third and fourth rounders mm-hmm. and then just try to take a bunch of swings. Mm-hmm. And when you have a guy who's supposed to be a good college talent evaluator the way Scott Fitterer is, then maybe you get a couple of home runs there at some uh, increased value if you pull him in as a third or fourth rounder. So what would you do? Because that's that's primary issue number one, even if nothing happens. Because there is still a chance that we're stuck with Teddy Bridgewater here in Carolina again next year. Mm-hmm. Seems like the resounding sentiment is that most Panthers fans do not want that. Mm-hmm. David Tepper didn't offer any real confidence in Teddy Bridgewater at mm-hmm. the end of the year. Matt Rule didn't really offer any supreme confidence in Teddy Bridgewater at the end of the year. Would you try to find a quarterback at number eight? Would you maybe go after that Zach Wilson guy from BYU or that you know Carson Wentz 2.0, whatever that kid's name is, coming out of North Dakota State? Mm-hmm. Lance, uh, I think is like Trey Lance. Trey Lance, yeah. boom. I think you got it. Exactly right. Uh, would you try to do something there? Scott Fitterer is a former quarterback himself. Did play yeah. at UCLA. Um, not really played, but he was a quarterback mm-hmm. on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a guy who has some experience drafting quarterbacks, like I said, with Russell Wilson. Uh, would you would you be comfortable where you sitting now? Would you want to trade back? Would you try to attack quarterback at eight? Would you maybe look in free agency? Would you maybe run with Teddy one more year? Carolina fans, you're probably going to have to run with Teddy one more year. <laughs> because I understand those two swings that you could take with a Trey Lance. And if Trey Lance is there and you have a third-round pick and you've Got a diamond in the rough with uh, Russell Wilson. Right. Why not? Right. But it depends on this draft because, like I've been saying, people are saying there's not a lot of, like, real home runs in this draft. There's some real pieces in this draft to, to, to move a team forward. If you're at number eight, it depends on how things are shaking out. You never know what happens on draft night. Right. Like, Sometimes it's formulaic and they're just running through picks, and the only reason that it's taking so long is so they can get all the sponsors in. But <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but sometimes you really do not know what will happen, and I was not expecting a lot of the players to fall. I was not expecting Justin uh, Jefferson's to fall right anywhere near C. Lamb where you C. Guys Lamb got to him. fall. I was not expecting that. If you're at number eight and Devontae Smith is somehow some weird way still on the board. Go ahead, then. <laughs> I mean, do you go like, oh, well, we're going to get rid of this so we can uh, get a quarterback, take a swing on North Dakota State? No, you're not going <laughs> to – you're probably not going to do that. There there are too many chances to make a young up-and-coming team better at number eight. I don't think they move on from it. I wouldn't move on from it. Yeah, it, 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 you're right about what this draft's going to look like. Last year – unpredictable this year just as unpredictable out after i mean gosh the number one pick is the only thing we know for sure this year yeah at number two the jets could go i've seen drafts where they take that 
Penny Sewell kid mm-hmm. out of Oregon. Uh, Devontae Smith has climbed up there. Justin Fields is right in that conversation. It's going to be wacky. And those <laughs> those three players should be the top three. Right. And after that, we're talking about players who can come in and start. We're talking about like Patrick Sertan. We're mm-hmm. talking we're talking uh, the, the linebacker. I can't remember his name right now. But there's a bunch of linebackers out there, which Carolina would desperately want. A, uh, I could use a, one. <laughs> a linebacker. I, I just don't know if you if you take that swing unless he really does see something in like a Trey Lance or a Zach Wilson that can turn the team around immediately. Right. And, and it's, it's going to depend a lot on, too, what Matt Rule wants, too, mm-hmm. because the whole idea here, and I think what's going to ultimately make Scott Fitterer a good fitterer in Carolina that good. You made that fitterer. is that he and, uh, he and Matt Rule seem to hear from Jump Street, be on the same page, that mm-hmm. this is a collaborative effort and not so much. Fitterer's running the show from the – Personnel standpoint, and then Matt Rule has to make the pieces fit. It seems like they're going to sort of be working side-by-side, hand-in-hand. We just saw last year that the Panthers kind of zigged when we all thought they were going to zag. Isaiah Simmons was on the board. Like, are you kidding me? Panthers fans were licking their chops. I was licking my chops, watching the draft live. Could not believe Simmons dropped that far. Mm -hmm. And they go ahead and skip right over him with everybody else and take Derrick Brown instead. Um, Not that that didn't ultimately work out, but... So there you go, the Panthers fans. There is your Panthers One news. Thing, if, go ahead. He, if he's on the if he's on the board, which he, I think he will be, just because of the image of him limping off the field. Where does Waddle go? He declared for the draft yesterday officially yeah, too. Yeah. He's probably a first rounder, not as high as eight. Yeah, I just but I, I do you. I think that that image of him limping off the field could maybe have him drop to could the second. Have him drop to the second, and if you want a home run. And if Waddle is sitting there and you have the receiving core that Carolina has. Mm-hmm. You might be needing to replace Curtis Samuel. And you're like, I can wait a year on a Waddle to get healthy or wait as long as I need for him to be fully healthy. Right. You may get the pick of the, pick of the year <laughs> right there. <laughs> there could be some it value. Could, could yeah. be some value in this year's draft. And I was looking at the uh, – I've got the list here. I was looking at the free agents available at the quarterback position this year. If you're Carolina, and, and I'm with you. As much as I don't want to see Teddy Bridgewater on the field anymore in Carolina, it might be the best of a bad situation because people love the BYU kid. People love the North Dakota State kid. I don't really have an opinion on either of them because I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I've watched a whole hell of a lot of BYU or North Dakota State football this year. Watch no BYU. I've seen some of the North Dakota State kid. Yeah. He looks really, really good, right. but you know. I've seen Twitter opinions. Yeah, um, there are a lot of those. But we, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of those. <laughs> Carolina has plenty of other problems that are much more glaring mm-hmm. than the quarterback position. Just kind of stay in water with Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> right now. But here's some of the free agents that are out there. If you think you want to move on from Teddy and you don't feel great about drafting a quarterback at eight, we're going to wait and see on Dak Prescott, but no expectation that Dak Prescott hits the open market. No, I don't think so. And even if he did, I don't think Carolina would get into a bidding war over Dak Prescott. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Phillip Rivers is expected to be a free agent. Jacoby Brissett expected to be a free agent. Uh, Trubisky expected to free be a free agent. Please don't do that to us. Ryan Fitzpatrick could, I think, join his 10th team. Beautiful. 10th team in his we'll NFL take the career. Hall of Famer. <laughs> uh, Tyrod Taylor will be out there. A.J. McCarron. Andy Dalton, Colt McCoy, Nathan Peterman, Matt Barkley. So you can see it's a very ugly 
gross, disgusting kind of list. It's a very uh, backup quarterbacky list. Makes, All these... makes Teddy Bridgewater sound a little bit better. Teams have won, won a lot more games with a lot worse quarterbacks than Teddy Bridgewater. Right. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Joe Flacco... No, he did throw like 13 touchdowns and zero interceptions in that playoff run. But... Yeah, but heck, Joe Flacco really did get a Super Bowl and Matt Ryan didn't. Arguably, Matt Ryan was the better of those two when they came out. Oh, and had the way better career and was always the better quarterback. Yeah, and he got a Super Bowl. And Joe- I know, and you can't even – that's a, not to have a Joe Flacco rewind conversation yeah. to 2009, <laughs> 2010 here, whenever it was. Um, you can't even say that Flacco just rode that defense to that championship. I mean, he kind of did, but Joe Flacco balled out in those playoffs. He did. He really did. <laughs> had a really good receiving core. Really good receiving core. That's, what, that's the thing about – that is the thing about the draft. Like it might, if even the most formulated drafts, they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to go old tackle, we're going to go D lineman. You do not know how these players will shake out just because you don't know how the organization will look in two years. Right. That's that's the simple fact of it. Well, that's a that's a good segue into this. So let me squeeze this question in here because it's going to relate to the next conversation I want to have with you as it relates to the Carolina Panthers. So the coaching carousel continues to turn, but we've had a couple of vacancies fill up and a couple of other um, vacancies. The rumor mill is getting closer to zeroing in on a candidate. Mm -hmm. So the New York Jets officially hire San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala. Mm -hmm. The Jacksonville Jaguars officially come to terms with Urban Meyer, who is going to be returning to the sideline. Mm -hmm. And then the Falcons have offered the Titans, I think, defensive coordinator, off Arthur Smith is his name. Um, so the Falcons have a job offer out there, and the Jags and the Jets both have their guys. Let's keep it on Sala and Urban Meyer for a second. I'm curious, what did you think about both or either of those hirings? Uh, Urban Meyer was the more interesting one to me, not just because he was a recognizable name, but because as a as a franchise it's always weird when you bring in baggage yeah. into <laughs> like a lot of baggage uh into uh a situation where you're trying to start anew right uh but maybe from a football perspective they saw something beyond the name urban meyer all of the winning that he did in on the college ranks uh i i just don't i just don't I just don't know if it's the best decision right now when you so desperately really need to start over. Mm-hmm. For me, I always look at Urban Meyer as like a really poor loser. Yeah. Not that he did a whole lot of losing, mm-hmm. but you know, there's that, that famous image of him like sadly eating a Papa John's pizza, <laughs> sitting on a cart in the tunnel yeah. after like getting his ass kicked in the sugar bowl or mm-hmm. something. And and he's, this is a guy who basically quit on Florida. And then we found yeah. out after the fact, it's like he may have been running away from some troubles. He was mm-hmm. running a pretty dirty program down there. There's a lot of weird stuff that sort of trickled out after Urban Meyer left Florida. And then, again, basically just quit on Ohio State. Mm-hmm. When I saw the Urban Meyer thing, I'm not saying it can't work. But you're talking about starting over. Jacksonville's trying to start over here. I would be concerned that Urban Meyer would get two, three years into building something. And then decide he didn't want to do it anymore. I'm always confused that the guy who steps away from the media job 
this sweet, cushy media job and goes back into the coaching world. Mm-hmm. And I know these these football coaches, they're, they're sick when it comes to like the competition <laughs> addiction mm-hmm. that they have. John Gruden, to me, was always the best example of this. This dude was making something like, what, $10 million a year? He was the highest-paid employee mm-hmm. at ESPN when he was in the Monday Night Football booth and took that sweet job where 16 nights a year you get to fly around the country and hang out and call a football game. Yeah, and make hella, hella money. Yeah, <laughs> and he said, "No, I'm gonna go be a coach of the Raiders instead and take on all that work." You could see it on his. If you go back and watch like any of the stuff from that last year that he was actually on, he was itching. <laughs> yeah. It was like he really he wanted to go back out there. Right. Like, all right, dude. Sure. So when I look at Urban Meyer and and you know sort of juxtapose him to John Gruden, I don't see that same kind of like outward fiery energy mm-hmm. that says like I need this back in my life. We've seen Urban Meyer walk away from it a couple times. So the Urban Meyer thing I scratched my head at a little bit. The Robert Sala thing to me is only interesting because he's such a hardcore defensive minded guy. Like the last guy we saw in New York that did that was Rex Ryan. Yeah. You thought Rex Ryan was a defense first kind of guy? Robert Sala is just eats, drinks, sleeps defense. Mm-hmm. If you're going into this draft and you have the number two pick and you've got that kind of minded guy and you look at the top of the draft and it's Justin Fields available, a wide receiver available, an offensive lineman available, not that that's necessarily going to impact what Robert Sala does, and I know that he understands there's two sides to the ball on his new football team, but I wonder what kind of impact that's going to have. New York's offense is completely shot. I mean, their defense isn't much better, but the offense is so shot. It's curious to me to see, and maybe it's just a total change of pace from what Adam Gase was, but it's curious to me to see them go with a defensive-minded guy when it seems like with the draft that's laid out in front of them, the strategy here would be to build on the offensive side of the ball, Yeah, but a coach that doesn't really have that philosophy. So going quick back to to, uh, to Urban Meyer, uh, the only one thing I, I would have to say – left on that on that Jacksonville job is if you are bringing in a young quarterback and you have a guy who is notoriously bad at handling young talent um <laughs> probably not probably not the best decision to have him you know cut loose in Florida like, <laughs> yeah, especially but, when you have Urban Meyer who is I mean he did have Tim Tebow and Tim Tebow wasn't going to get in no trouble well, that's what I'm saying, but that's what Trevor yeah. Lawrence is. Like, yeah. Tim Tebow was, I, was choir boy. Trevor Lawrence is kind of choir boy. Urban Meyer, it's like he likes having the choir boy as the front-facing figure for his organization. Just don't peek behind that curtain. Just don't. <laughs> yeah. but, but on the Jets, the Jets have a defense. To, on, they have pieces on defense to build on. Uh, Williams, uh, the D tackle over there, yep. really, really good. C.J. Mosley came over from the Ravens, sat out this year because of COVID, but yeah. he's still there. But that's a, another solid piece who mm-hmm. took a couple years off of his body by not playing this year. Yeah. Uh, you can build a defense around that. It might not be the, – th- the thing about defense nowadays, you don't really need to stop people every play. Uh, you just need to be really good at forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. And you got that number two pick. You're not going to get the Trevor Lawrence lottery, sure, but 
Unless something really crazy happens, which I would really love. If Urban, okay, is there? Any, are you saying there's? My, are you are you trying to manifest into the world some possibility that Urban Meyer does not take Trevor Lawrence? I do one? not think there is a possibility that Urban Meyer does not take Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> if Urban Meyer does not take Trevor Lawrence, how long does he keep his job? Oh, he's gone. He's gone before the second round of the draft. <laughs> That would be great. Right. If Urban, if Urban Meyer. It's all just one big convoluted troll job. Oh, that would be beautiful. <laughs> that would be really. It's never going to happen. It'll I never happen. This will never happen. That. But absolutely that would love be that. beautiful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, Jets, the Jets have a pretty good defense that you saw play pretty well throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to. I, I, I'll never understand how they weren't able to keep Jamal Adams in the building. Yeah, uh, I guess he just didn't want to be there because he was yeah, like, I'm he sick was of losing. Sick of losing. Yeah. But you, you got to give the rest of the team, you can't let your best player walk out who really cared about that team. Jamal Adams is not the, doesn't seem like the type of guy who just gives up. Right. He seemed like he really cared about the team. He just didn't want to waste his career. <laughs> that can't, makes sense. <laughs> that, that can't be the message for the rest of the locker room is that <laughs> the best player left and didn't want to waste his career and was fine getting knocked in the first round of the playoffs. Right. The Jets, the Jets really just have to, and this is going to sound like an oversimplified, like, uh, cliche version of things, but they really have to just do a complete overhaul of the organization from top to bottom. And yeah. I don't know if, look, looking at it, that starting on defense isn't isn't the worst way to do it. Promoting a tough defense, actually having an identity, right. other than being the Jets, who we... Predicted would go two and fourteen, and then they went, went two, two and fourteen. And 14. Yeah. yeah, that that shouldn't happen. At least surprise us a bit. <laughs> yeah, so Robert Sala uh, has his work cut out for him. A great hire. He was yeah. he was one of those guys when the Eagles fired Doug Peterson. I guess we're a week removed from that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I said if there's two guys that you don't even have to worry about bringing in for an interview, just call them and say, "What do you want?" Come be my head coach, mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy, Robert Sala. Yeah, those are the two guys. The Jets got one of those guys. I'm sure he will be just fine. He's got his work cut out for him. It's, it's not going to be an overnight fix. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Robert Sala's name was quite as hot this time around because San Francisco was just absolutely murdered on defense this year due to injuries. I mean, talking about week two on when they lost Bosa and Richard Sherman, lost a couple linebackers. They had nobody this year. They were calling up people from the practice squad. Seriously. That for like two days, and then they were coming starting in NFL primetime. Right. And, I mean, that has been like that all season. But just a year ago, a Super Bowl team that got there because of that defense. Yeah. Orchestrated and directed by – one Robert Sala. Urban Meyer seemed like the Jets pick to me. Like if you mm-hmm. were going to go for a, a Jets pick, you're going to bring in a quarterback or a coach with a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of baggage and like nobody was quite <laughs> he sure fit better in the, with the Jets. <laughs> that's right? what, that's why I was thinking. This is why I <laughs> kind of surprising that 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 was that just seems like such a Jets move that he he would eventually give up on him on two in two years and then turn around and go back to college and win a national championship that just seems like something that would happen to the jets but they make a really really good decision from trevor lawrence's standpoint he's got to be excited that urban meyer's the coach in jacksonville has to be right yeah Yeah. i mean i i mean there's not a a ton of similarities personality wise but it seems like 
um, just coaching-wise and, and what they like to do on the college level, Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney run pretty parallel to one another. They do. Pretty uh, smooth transition into the uh, professional level for Trevor Lawrence now. and That's probably something that played into it for Jacksonville. A lot of those uh, Florida teams are very comparable to the way that Clemson built themselves into a powerhouse mm-hmm. rather quickly. Yeah. If just, just looking at how big Urban Meyer was at the time, like Urban Meyer was calling things in college that were influencing the way the NFL was calling plays. Right. So, right. <laughs> you know, that doesn't just happen. Yeah. You think about all the weapons that they, he injected into those Florida offenses, those Ohio State offenses. We've talked about it before. There's not really a big lack of offensive talent in Jacksonville. Like, they got some pieces mm-hmm. there. James Robinson was an absolute gem of a find. I think he led the league in total scrimmage yards this year uh, at the running back position. DJ Chark's a real solid wide receiver. They've still got D.D. Westbrook. Keelan Cole has been a decent contributor over the last couple of years. They just haven't had a quarterback. Maybe Trevor Lawrence could be... If you told me that the Jacksonville Jaguars ended up winning seven or eight games next year, especially in that division, I don't think I would be shocked. Wouldn't be surprised. They could be in line for a wild card spot mm-hmm. next year. It wouldn't be shocking. Right. They just depends on what they do in free agency, too. Uh, get some veteran receivers to uh, really help. Something, something that really seems to help young quarterbacks is a really good tight end. Mm-hmm. Who you? If that's they always called uh, Jason Witten Tony Romo's security blanket. Yep. Because when he's scanning the field and looking for anywhere to go, there he is, right there. I'll just put the ball between the eight and the two, and I'll gain about ten yards from it. That something. That's something that could that could be addressed addressed in this draft because there is some tight end talent out there. Yeah, there's that. Uh... I can't remember his first name. Pitts, whatever. Yeah, Pitts. Kid out of I don't. He's see, gonna be a top ten. They're pick. not. I don't see anybody getting. Is he gonna be a top? He's 10 gonna pick? be a top ten pick. He's probably outside of Devontae Smith. I don't know if there's a better and Jamar Chase. Maybe I don't know if there's a better pass catcher in this draft you know than who, that Pitts kid. You know, I, I hadn't watched much, much of him. I knew. I knew. I hadn't heard about him. Uh, then if he's a top ten pick, somebody's gonna have to take. This is completely off topic, but somebody's gonna have to take Jace Horn. Uh, he's a uh, DB from South Carolina, and he matched up directly with with Pitts the entire game, and was not allowing Pitts to do much of oh, anything. <laughs> and, he's, and this is like the third or fourth receiver who I was like, "Hey, he's that's a really good receiver. That, he's not making many catches today." And it was Jace Horn covering him. <laughs> so, so draft stuff's going to be exciting. Yeah. I, I'm a huge NFL draft fan. Um, Big draft nerd. You weren't you weren't here doing any shows with me last NFL draft. I, I wasn't, but I had my little list of players. Nice at yeah. the house. Oh, sweet. Well, if you're still around this NFL draft, then we will. Uh, it, it's going to be a lot. Yeah, we're, we're, this is going to be a very draft heavy show. Those two coaches that I mentioned, and the fact that Arthur Smith sounds like if he wants it, he's going to be the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. As it relates to the Carolina Panthers, Mm -hmm. Joe Brady interviewed for the Jets job. Joe Brady interviewed for the Falcons job. If you're a Panthers fan, and the primary concern right now seems to be quarterback, or at least long-term, that is still the biggest issue that needs to be addressed. Because we know that they're going to deal with the offensive line. You know that you're going to deal with the defensive secondary. Mm -hmm. Those are pieces that can be addressed, nothing's a home run, but can be addressed in later rounds in the draft, easier to attack those kind of things in free agency. Two jobs now that Joe Brady interviewed for off the board. Mm -hmm. 
do you want to see Joe Brady leave at this point? Because I think I'm leaning to, as much as I want Joe Brady to stick around long-term in Carolina, if he's getting these kind of head coaching interviews, and he's got like six or seven now. The Eagles interviewed him. The Texans interviewed him. Um, I can't remember who else interviewed him. But if he's already getting these kind of requests, dude's 31, 32 years old. He's going to be out the door in the next two or three years if it's not this year. If you're going to try to start over with a young quarterback, would you rather see Joe Brady go ahead and get out of town now so you don't have to deal with offensive coordinator turnover so early in a young QB's career? I think it would depend on if you are planning on moving on from Bridgewater this year. Mm -hmm. If Brady's not gone this year. uh, You're saying like even if you had a young guy. But he was sitting behind Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, then it doesn't matter. I'm, if, if Teddy Bridgewater is starting and he's taking reps with the first team mm-hmm. keep, and Brady doesn't go anywhere, keep him around. Right. But just to be good this year, <laughs> at least. But whenever Joe Brady is going out that door, which if not this year, will be next year probably, uh, you're going to be moving on from Teddy Bridgewater. And hopefully you don't come to a point later in the year where you're going to have to bench Teddy Bridgewater and put in the young QB. Uh, but, yeah. yeah that you, means it's yeah, a bad season. That means the season's kind of lost. I don't think Panthers fans we, – we expected the four or five, maybe six wins this year, mm-hmm. ended up with five. Next year that expectation is going to jump to seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Which, if Teddy Bridgewater is getting benched <laughs> – that means it hasn't been a good year. Yeah, which is not unreasonable unless it's just because they took a chance, a swing on Trey Lance, and he's lighting the world on fire in practice. Right. Which, you know, could be. Or Zach Wilson, one of those two. Or or even Justin Fields. Nobody, Everybody talks about Justin Fields being the nebulous two pick, but we don't really know where he'll get picked. I could see him falling to eight. I would if, take him at two. Yeah. All right, you're not taking – I'd take that old tackle. That's I probably would too, yeah, or, or Smith. Or some, Devontae yeah, Smith if right. I really wanted to – man, Devontae Smith on the Jets. He would – the Jets would Jets might be actually on to something. It could save Sam Darnold's it career. Could. <laughs> Sam Darnold throw that ball to him every time. Anyway, <laughs> the the thing is you're, you're at pick number eight and you have the chance to take a quarterback – I think that all depends on what Joe Brady's going to do. So if you're the organization, you got to talk to him. Uh, I'm sure they're having these conversations where right. they're like, look, you, we need to know if you're going to be gone way before draft day. We need to know if you're in or out. Because yeah. if we're going to take a quarterback, we can't have that turnover, like you said, from another offensive coordinator. They're already learning one system completely new to them. We, they can't learn another one. Right. <laughs> Uh, so we will keep an eye on all of that. Let's go ahead and get into some of these divisional round matchups this weekend. Uh, before we do that, I, I got an opportunity to talk about last week's game earlier in the week. But what were some of your bigger takeaways, biggest takeaways from the wild card weekend? Did you watch the Nickelodeon feed at all? I watched a little bit. Yeah. Of it. My brother had it on. He was I watched super excited it. It was about great. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one. Alvin Kamara is the league MVP. <laughs> he's he's definitely the the engine in that Saints offense. If you isn't think it? the Saints it sure as hell ain't Drew Brees. If you think the Saints are one of the best teams in the league, then Alvin Kamara is the league MVP or Aaron Rodgers, one of yeah, one of those. Two. Right. Josh Allen makes a good case too. But um, another another takeaway: the Bills are just a good football team. I, You're losing. Are you losing hope in the Bills? Because the Colts uh, are a good football team. I, I the, Colts are, the Colts are a good football I team. I thought the Colts, if 
And and this weekend's going to be similar too. The, the Bills really just have had a tough draw of it. Mm-hmm. I think in the playoffs so far, I was really rooting for the Steelers on Sunday night because I thought the Steelers would be a great matchup for the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. who both of us selected as our Super Bowl champions this yeah. year, with an asterisk because we didn't want to be the people who just picked the Chiefs because yeah, we the just, Chiefs are just a layup because that's not fun. The it's Chiefs, not fun. The Chiefs are. Are that good? Right. Where if they storm for the next three years and win three straight Super Bowls, nobody's going to be shocked. Right. It's like if you used to pick the Warriors to win the championship. Yeah. Come on. Why are you picking? We're going to go on a little bit of a. You're going to pick a Warriors Cavaliers uh, playoff run? Come on. Yeah. yeah. What a shock! But (laughs) right. I thought the Colts were a tough matchup because they they can really go to just running the football. I think playing great defense. I think keeping the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. I think of it as a positive that they're a good football team. Yeah. That's 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 when I say they're a good football team. Uh, that's enough. That's that's really enough. Playing solid football and not making crucial mistakes because this is the game where Josh Allen makes the mistake. Right. Has to, it, it, everything leading up to this would have been okay. Yeah, nice regular season run. He throws a late interception. He bl- blacks out. Throws a late interception. Game over. Didn't do it. Right. Didn't did not <laughs> didn't do, do it. it. Yeah. Very good football team and good football teams win Super Bowls sometimes. Right. Uh. Teams worse than them win Super Bowls. The, the the Giants we're not we're not as solid as the Bills are right now. The the thing is, I I have more faith in the Bills. I have a little bit more faith in the Bills, and I think they're going to be taking on a really tough challenge, which I don't, I'm not sure how no one saw coming. Simply because they're the Browns, we get a Browns Bills playoff matchup that actually seems like it might be a good football game. Yeah. What a weird year, <laughs> but. Yeah, that that's a big takeaway. Other takeaway, speaking of the Browns, is the oh, well, we've got it's uh, Bills Ravens. Bills Ravens, Ravens Ravens are taking them on. Browns Chiefs. Browns Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 thing about the Browns that that I was able to see was they're not just a team built on the pass rush. They can actually hold up a bit in coverage, mm-hmm. uh, which and they're getting Denzel Ward back this. They week. are. Yeah, uh, that sounds kind of crazy when you see uh, how many points the Steelers were able to score but a lot of that came from the Steelers being in a situation where they had to completely change how they played offense from yeah. <laughs> from how they played the rest of the year uh they were able to change up and when when you're a team and you make the team that you're playing against completely change their strategy you've done something right yeah yeah, and I think you know what I think it was ended up being thirty-seven points that mm-hmm. Pittsburgh put up in that game. I sort of credit a lot of that to uh, what I, people call it garbage time points. Yeah. I call it trash time. Yeah, right, it's the same thing. <laughs> and it's uh, you know at the end of the game, just kind of kind of filling it up. So let's look into these games this weekend. Um, we'll go right in order here. We can just just tiptoe around all of these. First one tomorrow, four thirty-five kickoff, the L.A. Rams. Versus the Green Bay Packers. John Walford is officially ruled out. I don't even know why that was newsworthy. But they felt the need to tell us that John Walford was out and Jared Goff will be starting. Goff did not look good last week. Did not. Did not look good at all. I would have thought if Jared Goff put on that performance, that's exactly why I picked Seattle. Right. Because that, I was, was ex- the most surprising. Goff completed something like nine passes. I was expecting <laughs> I was expecting Seattle to actually, you know, stop Goff, which means that they can put up enough points to beat the Rams. They could not. They could not so, uh, turns out the Rams, with two of the best players in the in the NFL, have a really good defense. Who would who would have thought? Even so, the best quarterback this year 
who has been getting no attention is Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of weird to say that nobody's talking about Aaron Leads Rodgers. Leads the league in touchdown passes. Yeah. Probably going to win the MVP. And exactly to your point, nobody's really talked about Very Aaron Rodgers. weird to say that because Aaron Rodgers is a darling. Like, he is the <laughs> – he's like – if you were going to talk about most consistently talked about quarterbacks, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. Haven't heard anything this year, and he's thrown the most touchdowns. Mm. And I think he can do it to this Rams defense, which, despite the fact they were able to hold up last week, the Packers are able to take advantage of spots that the Seattle Seahawks were not. Yeah, I, I think you at the beginning of the year were all over the Green Bay Packers secondary. Mm-hmm. You were all about it, and they lived up to the hype. They were... They're not flashy, necessarily. You don't hear about them the way you hear about the guy on the other side of the field, Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. But they're they're locked down. And if you're, if you're telling me Jared Goff is coming off of a really bad game, he's still dealing with this thumb injury a little bit, I don't feel good about Jared Goff improving too much on what he was able to do last week. I love the matchup of Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams. Jalen Ramsey That's has so done fun. something like – Receivers targeted when Jalen Ramsey has been on them this year, he's given up something like under 400 total yards receiving so far this year. In two matchups in the regular season against DK Metcalf, he allowed one reception for 11 yards. Last week, and DK Metcalf, you know, one of the best receivers in the game right now. Last week, even though Metcalf had almost 100 yards and two touchdowns, when Jalen Ramsey was on him, he only had three catches for 33 total yards. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey's going to be shadowing Devontae Adams all game long. Aaron Donald is going to blow everything up in the middle. We'll see if Matt LaFleur can scheme something up to where Aaron Jones, who is a terrific running back, can get free. I'm excited to watch this game because this is going to be a Aaron Rodgers has to improvise game. And when Aaron Rodgers has to improvise, he's the best in the business. This is all about scheming. Mm -hmm. This is really going to come down to scheming and, like you said, Aaron Rodgers improvising. How can you make those two things mesh? Because – you have to get your players in position to be open and hope that Aaron Rodgers sees them when they're open. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to beat you're not going to beat Jalen Ramsey with a slant. That's that's not that's not about to happen. You're not going to beat him <laughs> with anything basic and you have one of the best route runners that we've seen. I don't think it's inappropriate to say since Jerry Rice like in in Devontae Adams at least this With year. Sticky hands. Too. He he can get around anybody and Jalen Ramsey can guard anybody <laughs> anybody so it's up to the coordinator to figure out how to get that ball to him and when Aaron Rodgers is on the run as I feel like he will be because Aaron Donald doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon right. <laughs> I, he kind of just you know those big creature things that just are just arms uh <laughs> Aaron Donald yeah, yeah Aaron Donald yeah <laughs> I think they're uh, the Geo, the Geo man from uh, from Pokemon. Geo dude, Geo dude from Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. that that's Aaron Donald. He's just a rock with arms that throws himself <laughs> at people. Very true. So when he's chasing down, when he is chasing down Aaron Ro- or Aaron Rodgers, I don't know how you scheme to improvise, but right. they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to <laughs> scheme for Aaron Rodgers to improvise. They're going to put in here. Go ahead, vamp. Put it, go. go do Just something go. because the last thing you want to see is Aaron Ro- Aaron <laughs> Aaron Donald too many Aaron's <laughs> putting Aaron Rodgers in the ground too many times right um, so that's the first game of the weekend 
The Packers are a six and a half point favorite, I believe. Oh no, Kansas City's a ten point favorite. We'll get to that game in a little bit. Um, second biggest line of the weekend, Aaron Rodgers, probably the league MVP. Forty eight touchdown passes this year. Hmm. Eighteen of those went to Devontae Adams. He's he, he's, <laughs> he's just different, man. Right? Could be could be more of the same. Um, the night game Saturday night is the game I'm most excited about this weekend. Ravens versus Bills. Bills at home. They started allowing fans back in Ralph Wilson Stadium. That was really cool to see. I enjoyed having fans there for the playoff atmosphere in Buffalo. They haven't had a haven't gotten to host a playoff game since God knows when. The nineties. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm so nervous for the Bills here because Lamar Jackson it was funny last week Lamar Jackson uh in the first quarter was kind of quiet. And yeah. I talk about it all the time, but i I play the DraftKings stuff. Every single week, I'm obsessed with DraftKings, and I had Lamar Jackson as my quarterback, and I was fussing and fussing and fussing, and I kept because he wasn't doing anything, he wasn't putting up any numbers, and I kept telling myself he only needs a play, and he can break this thing a wide crease, open. Really? And he had yeah. one crease, one play, blink your eyes, and he's gone from the opposite forty to high stepping into the end zone. I think that Baltimore is going to take that game script that Indianapolis had last week, where it is. Slow, methodical, slow, methodical. They're built to do it. Lamar Jackson running it. J.K. Dobbins has been a godsend to this team since Mark Ingram has just gone completely MIA this season. Mm -hmm. The difference between Baltimore and Indianapolis from a week ago is that offense is equipped to have the burst that you need to keep up with a Bills offense that – you think Bill's offense, and you don't really think about explosive, but outside of Green Bay, outside of Kansas City, there isn't really an explosive offense in the NFL like Buffalo. But Baltimore can play the defense, and they've got the offensive potential. They haven't lived up to that potential all season long, but they've been there a couple of times. They have the potential to be the only team, uh, or excuse me, the team outside of the Steelers, who I thought were going to be here in this situation, taking on the Bills this week. Mm-hmm. The Ravens could give the Bills a real run for their money, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills lose this game. I'm going to stick with Buffalo, but I'm not going to tell you I'm not nervous for them. I'm sticking with Buffalo, too, simply because I would like that story. Right. <laughs> uh, but you're not you're not wrong. If there's a if there's a matchup you didn't want, it's this one. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a really, really, really mm-hmm. tough team to, to take on. The the problem with trying to do all of the things Buffalo is good at against the Ravens is they're not accustomed to playing a defense as solid as the Ravens. And we saw what happened last week when they had to take on a defense that is a little, a little less solid than, than the Ravens. They were, they were able to stop them and they have a better running back on the other side. Now this in the quarterback, we we know who Lamar Jackson. We know is. what Lamar he, can do, but we, we also know Lamar's capable of disappearing. Capable of it, yeah. But he's like when 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 Deontay Wilder would fight, he'd say, <laughs> "You have to be perfect the entire fight. I just have to be perfect for nine seconds. That's very. True. I have to be perfect for one punch. That is it. <laughs> and to the to the on the opposite hand of that, Josh Allen kind of has to be perfect. For the whole entire game because he's one of those quarterbacks. He's done it a lot less this year, but when he starts to implode, things go wrong. It can get kind of mm-hmm. ugly kind of fast. I was listening to some of the comments that they were talking about that he said pregame 
coming leading into last week's game against Indianapolis, and they were referencing um, Baltimore, or excuse me, Buffalo's playoff game last season where Josh Allen crapped the bed, mm-hmm. and he said in that game he felt like he was pressing too much, and when he pressed, that resulted in bad news. If Baltimore jumps out to let's say a ten point lead in the first half, I don't. I don't give Buffalo a real big shot to close that gap. One, because Baltimore is just going to try to ice that game, park the bus like they do in soccer. And if you get Josh Allen pressing, he makes mistakes. Yeah. If he can play with the lead or play in a close game where he can play within himself, he'll be fine. He gets pressing, they're screwed. If he <laughs> makes if he makes the mistake, if he makes two of the mistakes, I'll give him two, mm-hmm. where he just lofts the ball in the middle of the field, and throws the really bad time pick. Like it's never a good time to throw a pick, but the really bad time right. pick <laughs> where he might get the ball with two minutes left and they need two touchdowns, that that's not a situation Josh Allen pulls you out of. But the the Ravens are the same way. The Ravens are not a team equipped to come back. Yeah. Uh, you're they're, right. they're a team equipped to beat you down and beat you by seven points. Look at the tight <laughs> the Titans. They were they dominated the Titans, undoubtedly, uh, but they only won by seven points. Doesn't right. look like the most dominant performance, but if you watch the game, it just looked like a prize fight that should have been stopped like three rounds ago. <laughs> so these are, these are two. This is an interesting matchup. I just hope that the Bills know what they're getting themselves into, and don't make that mistake of letting Lamar Jackson get a lead and then letting J.K. Dobbins sit on it. Right. Uh, Buffalo is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, so slight favorite for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, J.K. Dwey averaging over six yards per carry. Wow. Six yards per carry Man. this season. Those are, that's unreal. In the NFL. Yeah. Six yards per carry. <laughs> those are those NCAA numbers. You shouldn't be putting that up. It's so stupid. When, 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 you're, <laughs> when you're scared that Lamar Jackson is going to take the ball – and run, I can see why, but you should game plan for J.K. Dobbins. Right. <laughs> uh, let's see. So the Sunday lineup is going to be kicking off at 3.05. You're not going to get any 1 o'clock NFL football for the first time in like 18 weeks. Right. Which is, you know, for someone like me, really throws off my Sunday schedule, it which does. I'm usually accustomed to living out in the, you know, late fall, early spring, but uh, or early winter, late winter. But Browns-Chiefs is going to be the first game. Kansas City is a 10-point favorite in this game. So Vegas not giving Cleveland much of a chance. Vegas doesn't like the Browns. Odell Beckham Jr. said, don't be shocked if Cleveland ends up winning this thing. I personally would be shocked if Cleveland won this thing. It sounds like Kevin Stefanski is going to be out of the basement. We don't have to worry about <laughs> Mrs. Stefanski and the kids banging on the basement floor. Yeah. Uh, shout out Al Michaels for giving us that nugget. Crazy call. Last week the Good game. God, Al Michaels. Are you are you buying anything that Odell's saying? I mean, I give him a better chance against the Chiefs without Odell than I did with Odell because they they wouldn't be a playoff team. They weren't trending to be a playoff team when Odell Beckham was healthy and playing for this team. You got to think the whole entire offense is going to revolve around. Let's get Kareem Hunt going. Let's get Nick Chubb going. Let's play smart, slow. The whole thing with Kansas City is: Do you think, do you think Cleveland is capable of slowing the game down enough to keep it to where they don't have to get into a track meet with Kansas City? I do. I don't think it's enough. 
I think they are yeah. slow enough. They can slow the game down enough. It just doesn't matter mm-hmm. sometimes. Some, <laughs> sometimes I got beat really bad in a wrestling match one time. A coach came up to me. Coach March came up to me and said, son, sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that happens. You can. They, this could be a game where the Browns take five, seven minutes on a drive and put up seven, put up a touchdown. Right. One play. Kansas City has scored and ma- it matched you. If you you have to, the problem with Kansas City is you have to give them the ball back eventually. Mm-hmm. Like you can keep the ball for as long as possible, theoretically. Right. Eventually, you're going to have to give them the ball back, and they're going to make you pay for it. They're going to make you pay, and you waste your own time because you're going to need that time to catch up with how many touchdowns they can score on you. And that's the problem with Cleveland because Cleveland is methodical. Yeah, you know they're a team that utilizes the tight ends a lot. They're a, te- a team that utilizes. Two different running backs, and their best pass catcher is Jarvis Landry, Mm -hmm. who's notorious for averaging like three yards a catch. Now, that's a little different since he's gone to Cleveland than it was in Miami, but Jarvis Landry's still kind of the same player. But you make a good point. They're going to have the ball a lot in this game. If You're going to look at the time of possession in this game at the end of it, and it could be a 70-30 split in favor of Cleveland. Could be. But it's because Kansas City only needs two or three minutes. Give them two or three minutes, and they've gone 70 yards and scored a touchdown. Cleveland will take that same four-play, 70-yard drive for a touchdown, and they could turn it into 12 plays over eight and a half minutes. If they do that, I think they <laughs> – it's not the – They have not, to play perfect. They do. And it's not the worst shot in the world to say that we're going to do that as much as we can and hope we have the ball last and get a field goal. Not a, not a bad way to beat somebody who can just do whatever they want on offense. I, I, I think Cleveland has a – Cleveland has to stop Kansas City at least twice mm-hmm. to be able yeah. to win this game. They, <laughs> and you think about that, you stop them twice, <laughs> and that means that that's your window of opportunity. Yeah. It's just plus two possessions. You, can you can you make that difference in plus two possessions? You have to. Yeah. You can't settle for a field goal <laughs> on those two possessions. If you are able to make them punt, you have to take advantage. Now, would would if the Browns pull it out, would I be shocked? No, because I think the Browns are a good football team. Mm. I'm not expecting it. No. Cleveland's defense has been kind of suspect this year, also especially Mm -hmm. on the back end. We mentioned they will be getting Denzel Ward back, who's probably their top corner. He's expected back this week. But their whole defensive strategy this year, and it's not a bad one, is set Miles Garrett loose and hope he can force some turnovers. Mm Mm-hmm. But Kansas City's going to be ready for that. That's a very smart coach there at Andy Reid. That's a very smart quarterback, obviously. Who has dealt with Patrick situations Mahomes. like that before where you just have an absolute monster yeah. on the sideline. He played twice a year against Michael Strahan. I mean. <laughs> you're going to force Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket, and he's going to be rolling, and he's going to be running. I don't know if I want to do that against Patrick. Like, Patrick Mahomes is incredible when he gets outside of the pocket. Do you really want to force him? Do you want to really want to see how good your coverage is against that Kansas right. City team? Right. Like, go ahead and let things start break down in the secondary, He'll, and let's see. Let's see how well that works out. Something for ridiculous will happen. As as good as Aaron Rodgers has been this year with forty eight touchdowns, Patrick Mahomes is right there with forty. Yeah, he could have had more. They just haven't needed him to. That's been the thing. It's they are the team this year. They are. Elite NBA status, where those elite NBA teams, they kind of coast through the regular season Mm -hmm. because they're just gearing up for the playoffs. That's what Kansas City is. And the the moment I realized how scared we should be of Kansas City 
was when Patrick Mahomes threw three picks and they won the game anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even a question of if they would win the game at the end of the game. Right. And he threw three picks. Like if you're <laughs> like if your all star quarterback throws three picks, you say, Oh, we took that loss on the chin. They won pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. That's that's scary. That shouldn't happen. Let me rewind a year ago this weekend in the divisional round when Kansas City was playing the Houston Texans and they were in a 28 to nothing hole after one quarter. Mm-hmm. That was in the divisional round. They were down 28 to nothing. They ended up winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, they went from being down 28 to nothing in a quarter to winning the Super Bowl four weeks later. Um, they're, they're, uh, it's, the, the line's 10. I would have a hard time betting against Kansas City. I don't care what Odell says. Honestly, Odell running his mouth makes me think that they're going to win even more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I want I would like a Browns Bills divisional playoff game because I want one one of those franchises to have to break the other franchise's heart. Oh yes, but yeah. you're a sick person. Those but those two. If you're going to make it out of the bottom, one of there's only one way through it, and it's through the other guy. Right. <laughs> one of them has to do it. What? <laughs> one of them has to do it. Uh, so 10 points in favor. Might not have the chance. Patrick Mahomes looks pretty poised to just put up 300 yards. I guess. I mean, I guess you've got to just cross your fingers and hope that it's the whole uh, rest versus rust thing where, <laughs> hey, Kansas City had a week off. They kind of had two weeks off because they didn't really play a whole lot of their starters in week 17. Yeah, but they had 16 weeks off. That's true. They didn't do They weren't even That's trying true. this year. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The final game of the evening, it's 6.40, an early kick Sunday evening for Sunday Night Football. Uh, I think this game's actually going to be broadcasted on the History Channel. Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, <laughs> 42 versus 43 years old. That is not my joke. Tom Brady tweeted out, a, uh, I guess, a, a graphic of the two of them the other day. Mm-hmm. with uh, Both of them looked like Santa Claus, and I couldn't tell if it was Photoshop or not. Could not at all. Drew Brees, his birthday's today. Friday today oh. he turned 42 years old today Tom Brady is 43 years old they are in an NFL playoff game against one another we are going to see some old man arms in this game <laughs> some passes that are just ducked over the middle of the field that no one picks off who do you want to win like I'm not even going to ask you to break down I think these teams match up pretty well yeah um Better offense, I'll give the nod to Tampa Bay. Much better defense, I give the nod to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You talked about Kamara earlier. The strength of this Saints team is their defense and Alvin Kamara. Drew Brees is a secondary piece on this New Orleans team. Mm-hmm. But just from a legacy perspective, because we, you and I haven't even really gotten too much in, ever into your feelings on Tom Brady because he's kind of a mercurial character in NFL legacies. Who do you just want to see win this game? Do you want Brady to make another run and this time without Belichick? Or do you want to see Breeze walk off as like just the beloved son of the NFL? Well, I don't have a, a, a I would Or are you just setting up the inevitable would, for one of them to get run over by Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? That's kinda what it is. That's kinda what it is. I, I could think of it as 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 a legacy game. Sure. I just don't know which one of these teams I would want to see 
in a playoff game right. or in a, in a Super Bowl. You're just going to quote Charles Claypool and just be like, it doesn't matter. They're going to get clapped by the Chiefs next weekend. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Basically. No, I think that both of these two quarterbacks, not, not to take anything away from these two quarterbacks, like what they've right. done in their yeah. career is, you know. They don't like, need anything to continue to build on their legacy. They could have retired three years ago and both of them would still be in the Hall of Fame. Right. First ballot. Come on. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. We, we know everything we need to know about them. I'm thinking more about the pieces I would like to see leading up to the Super Bowl and what they would do. So seeing what Alvin Kamara would do in a Super Bowl would be fun. Uh, seeing what <laughs> whatever is going on with Antonio Brown go on in, in the Super Bowl would, would, would be, be a inter- cool redemption story for Antonio Brown. I mean, I'm all for the redemption. Yeah, it's just there's – with these two – I don't think there's going to be much celebrating if Kansas City runs through. Whoever, if Kansas City really runs through the Browns this weekend, I think we should cut all storylines that aren't Kansas. Yeah, <laughs> and Kansas City because yeah. there's not there are better defenses than the Browns. But come on, like, right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm I'm excited to see whose old man, man arm gives out first. If Tom Brady loses this game. He's got another year left on his deal. I think it's a, it's either a player option or a team option. Somebody can opt out of this contract the final season. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians, I don't think he's in any danger of losing his job. Don't but think so either. How big, I mean, is this a bust? Is this a failed experiment in Tampa Bay if they don't at least make it to the Super Bowl? No, not at all. I think, I think you know, they You think they run it back if they lose this? Why not? He looks a lot better than he did at the at the end of the. He'll turn forty four in the middle of the season next year. It, they, it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> it just doesn't. HGH like, will do that. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it just doesn't seem to matter because he looked like he should have retired at the end of that Patriots year. Yeah. When he threw that pick. Yeah. I was like, that should be the last play of Tom Brady's career because he looks bad. He's looked pretty good this year. He's looked okay. He's looked fine. That's because he's just, been throwing to Mike Evans instead of Gunnar Oshevsky. Run it back. <laughs> run, run, run it back. I mean, if you if you are if you are Tampa Bay, you're Bruce Arians. I would want to say you have an opportunity to get something out of this draft coming up. And who better if you want to go find a young quarterback who you feel like could be the future of the franchise? Maybe move up for. For a piece or two, you have pieces that you can trade. Mm-hmm. You have pieces in spade that you could trade for a first-round pick. If you want to move up and get one of those quarterbacks, like a Trey Lance or a Zach Wilson, doesn't hurt to have a year learning under Tom Brady. No, yeah, no, that wouldn't hurt. I uh, New Orleans, interestingly to me, is a three-point favorite in this game. Some of that's, that's probably because of the home field mm-hmm. advantage. Uh, usually, when they when they bake these lines home field advantage is usually worth three points is how they usually score that out or grade that out. I think if Tampa Bay loses this, it's blown up. Mm, Maybe maybe even Bruce Arians himself. I know Todd Bowles has been interviewing for a couple of different coaching jobs. Bruce Arians is, is old. Like he's, he, I mean, not that you can't be old and be an NFL coach. Uh, and he's one of these coaches who's never won a Super Bowl, So he's probably still hunting that. But you don't think he would be in it to? I wouldn't be in it to just build an, a totally new quarterback. I would just feel so bad running out there with Tom Brady one more year. If you come up short, especially, I mean, we'll have to see how Brady looks this weekend. But mm-hmm. if he looks old, 
like he did in those playoffs last year you're talking about, mm-hmm. then I would be real, real disinterested in saying, let's try this one more time. Here, Tom, age one more year. Yeah. Because it's just the fall just and the drop off just becomes more and more precipitous as you go on. Yeah. And you don't want to, I don't think you want to, I don't think you want to see it. Like, you don't want to go out there and then you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, right. You never you wanna... Don't want to start the season next year and be like, we have made a massive mistake. Yikes. But <laughs> then again, if you have the quarterback of the future on the team, set whoever will be coaching next up for some type of run because yeah. you, you have it there. Right. Whoever is going to be uh, throwing the ball after Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay uniform seems to have all the weapons available to them possible. Uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are going to be around for a while. That's, so, that's sounds, a good start. Sounds good perfectly start. fine to me if I was if I was starting a team. All right, so I'm taking – I'm going to go Packers. I am going to go Buccaneers. Okay. The toughest game for me to pick is Bills-Ravens. I'm going to go Bills just because I'm going to stick with my pick. I mm-hmm. thought they were going to be playing the Steelers this weekend. The Browns screwed that up for me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go Chiefs over, over Browns. I had uh, – I actually – did pick the Browns to beat the Steelers. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So we picked them in here. I, I did. Mm-hmm. I did have Browns over Steelers, so I'm still going to go. I'm still going to go Bills. Okay. I mean, still going to go Chiefs. You're right. That seems that seems pretty uh, obvious to me. Uh, but maybe Odell knows something I don't. Yeah. Saints. Saints. Because I think Kamara is Alvin Kamara for, re- for a reason. And for the last game, I have to go Packers. Packers. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Sam Avila Show. Hey, a big thank you to Toyota of Newburn for sponsoring this hour straight, commercial-free, Friday edition, NFL, Divisional Round Preview. How about that? Von Casey, you can check him out on Twitter, at V-O-N-K-252. That's Vonk, V-O-N-K-252. I'm Sam Avila. Of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Sam Avila. If you missed any of the show, you can always check it out on the Sam Avila Show podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to have to push some NBA discussions to next week, which is good because the season's starting to ramp up a little bit as long as it doesn't get postponed due to some COVID reasons or uh, delayed for a little bit. They've, yeah. been, they've been talking about that potentially. Uh, but, guys, that's it. Enjoy the football this weekend. NC State game got canceled tomorrow. I'm very sad. They might have finally had an opportunity to get a win over Georgia Tech. But that's canceled. We'll see you back here Monday, 4 o'clock, on the Sam Avalos Show.